Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe, and if you're visiting us this morning, uh, it's fantastic to have you here with us. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verses 33 to 35. That's Acts chapter 20, verses 33 to 35. That will be um, the passage that we will be reading this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. It goes as follows. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of uh, the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Let us pray. Lord, we are incredibly grateful that we get to come together uh, this morning as your sons and daughters, to get together as your body, to hear you speak, to hear you minister to us. And so, Lord, we, we ask that that would be the case this morning, that you would help us to reign in our thoughts, uh, what's gone on this week, that we would be able to lay it aside, that we would hear from you. Lord, we desire not to hear Joey's words and Joey's ideas, but rather what we wanted to hear is um, you speak to us and to our hearts. So we pray for that this morning. Lord, would you let my words fall on deaf ears and let your words minister to us, we pray. May we come away this morning with a deeper desire of Christ, a deeper desire to live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last couple of weeks, if you've uh, joining us for the first time or haven't been in a while, we've been talking about this idea of building committed community. What does it look like for us as a church to build committed community? And this morning we, we come to the end of it, but there's a couple of things that I want you to understand and get. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we were, it was Easter time, and we spoke about the fact that when Christ died for us on the cross, what he did for us was he... Um, brought us into a community. He made for himself a people. And this group was to love him and worship him, to love each other and will love the world as well. This is our love up, love in, and love out idea. And so we, we said, well, if the cross brings us into this community. If it makes us alive, if it gives us this uh, community of people in which we are to live with, well, then surely the cross also helps us um, live the life we are meant to live. It, it guides us. It uh, helps us have a new perspective on life. It helps us to have a good understanding of how we should deal with the world, how it transforms our relationships with one another, with friends and family. It transforms every aspect. The cross leads us. And so we spoke about how the, the cross uh, transforms our relationship with God. It helps us have a better understanding of ourselves. It's, and a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that this needs to lead us to have sacrificial love towards each other. We are to sacrificially love one another. Remember, we spoke about James and John, how they come to Jesus and they want to make sure that they gain much for themselves. But that's not the way we ought to live. We would be like Christ, who did not come to be served, but came to serve. So the cross there helps us make sure that we uh, live a life accordingly and we see that it needs to be sacrificial for each other. And so Paul in this passage that we've just read has come to a, another way in which we build committed to community, sacrificially. 
And that for Paul is in the area of financially giving. Now, if you're visiting us this morning, we hardly ever preach on financial giving, but it just happens to be that we're doing that this morning. Uh, But here we have uh, this concept for Paul that is so real to him that he, through experience, understands that, man, it is important for the Christian to give financially. And we see Paul does this in himself. He arrives at Ephesus, he plants a church, he ministers to them for three whole years, pouring his life into them, ministering flat out so that they might come to know Christ and know him well, and he never ever takes a salary. He never places financial burden on them. Instead, what he does is he goes and he works with his hands so that they who don't have much don't have to provide for him. He blesses them so that those who are poor don't have to look after him. And he says this incredible statement right at the end through experience. But he says, we must remember what the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So why should we preach on um, financial giving? Why should we talk about this idea of money? Well, Jesus preached on it. We see that in scripture. It was important for Jesus because what we need to understand about money is it shows us where our heart is. Jesus says those incredible words, where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. And so it's important for us to have a right dealing with money because if we don't have a right dealing with money, it can lead our hearts astray. And so there's this need for us to make sure that our heart is right. Because if our, our, our tendency as humans is this, is that we have the tendency to find comfort, security, and hope where? In our bank accounts, right? Just have no money in the bank account and see how secure you feel. Our our comfort seems to be, our security seems to be in how well we are doing financially. And so there is this tendency to find hope and trust in our money rather than in Christ, rather than in God. This is why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. He's saying you can't find your security and comfort in money and you can't find your security and comfort in God. It is one or the other. And so having a good dealing with money makes sure that our heart is right as well. And so that is why Christ finds it important. But also what we see is there seems to be an eternal uh, consequence to the way we handle our money and what we do with it. Jesus says his words in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 20. He says, um, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Christ is saying here, rather store up treasures in heaven. And so what he's talking about here and and, uh, building treasures in heaven is not just around the area of financial giving. It's the whole, whole lives. When we give everything to the kingdom of God... Man, when we are not worried about building our own kingdoms, but building his kingdom, he blesses us with eternal rewards. That's, that's what it's saying in this passage. But while that is every aspect of our life, it also includes the way we deal with our money. And so when we deal well with our money and do what God wants us to do it for, it's for his kingdom and the building of his church, then there is this eternal blessing that seems to come with it as well. But also we see in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, there seems to be this call to excel in this area of giving financially. 
And it's, it's, it says this, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And so there's this call for us to excel in it. So, man, if we are called to excel in it, then we need to know how to do that and to do that well. So, it's at this point you probably expect me to preach on tithing. We need to give 10%. That's what tithing means. Tithing means you should give 10% of your income, and we should uh, take that and give that to the church. But tithing and this idea of giving 10% is actually quite a tricky topic when it comes to the New Testament. In order for us to understand that, you, you need to understand where tithing came from. The first time we ever see tithing is in the book of Genesis. Genesis 14, we see um, Abraham has just had this massive conquest. He's defeated uh, um, some guys with a, a small group of people himself. He's gone and defeated this big uh, uh, group of men that were against him, and he gets lots of spoils. And out of all these spoils that he gets, he gives 10% to the Lord. But we don't see it again until two generations later with Jacob, his grandson, um, who uh, at this place called Bethel gives 10% of his uh, belongings to the Lord. And so those are the two places we see it. But then we see it again 430 years later um, in the book of Leviticus. Um, we see that it is formalized and made a part of law. So Moses, you know, gets the Ten Commandments, but he also gets a whole bunch of laws in which people had to do, in that um, Israel, Israel had to give 10% to the temple, 10% to a, a tribe called Levi. And that's important. They give, give a tribe called Levi. But why to the tribe of Levi? Well, again, for us to get this, we need to understand why Levi had to get the money. And they were the tribe that uh, looked after God's temple. They did all the sacrifices. They were the ones that were part of God's temple and made it run. But the rest of the tribes, they inherited land. Remember the promised land? They're leaving Egypt off to the promised land. They were promised that they would all get land. Israel was going to get land. And all the other 11 tribes inherited land. They got farms to farm on. They got houses. They could run businesses. But God said to the tribe of Levi, your inheritance is not going to be um, land. Your inheritance is going to be me. Your blessing is that you get to serve me in the temple. But in order for Levi to serve in the temple, they needed finances to come in. Because they couldn't go and work the fields. They couldn't make money. So God's saying, well, if you must come and serve here, then you need to live and survive. And so the other tribes only give 10% of what they make off their field so that you can do this. Does that make sense? And so that's great and all. And we can understand where the 10% comes from. But when we go to the New Testament and to now... We don't see that anymore because the tribe of Levi no longer exists. There is no temple. There is no tabernacle. 
And the, so how do we then justify giving 10%? Where does that come from? Because there, where do we give it to? And, and so we've come to the conclusion, and lots of people have taught traditionally, what happens is, well, then the church would be like the temple, and the pastor, like myself, would be like the priest. And so what you would do is you'd come and give 10% so the church can function, so the kingdom can grow, and so that I can get a salary, right? That's our logic behind it. But do we have any... New Testament teaching for that. Where does, where does it work? Are we meant to give 10% and to the church? How does that look? And, and so the first place we need to ask this question to do it well is we need to ask ourselves the question, um, are we still under the law of Moses? Is the law of Moses still controlling us in, 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 uh, and how we should approach things? And, and and the answer to that, we have did four sermons on that last year, uh, going through the book of, uh, uh, going through the Sermon on the Mouth in Matthew 5, so you can listen to that online. But really, the short answer to this big question is no. We're not under the law of Moses. We see this in Romans 7, verses 4 and 6. It says this, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Jesus Christ, so that you might belong to another, not to the law, to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. And so he's going, you, you've died to the law of Moses. You belong to another one who's been raised from the dead. Who's that? It's Jesus. You now belong to Christ. You belong to him. And he goes, he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, But now we are raised from the law, uh, released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we uh, serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Those of us who are in Christ, we live not by what the law tells us to do, but what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. We live in a new way, and that's by the Spirit. And so our relationship with Christ and God is different. We relate to him through what Jesus has done for us, not through the law anymore. The law isn't there. John Piper says it like this. He says, the law is not our primary way by which we relate uh, to God or by which we uh, discern what is pleasing to God. So it is by Christ and by his spirit, not by the law. Does that make sense? And so the, the question then becomes, do we just, are we adrift? Do we just kind of soma do what we want to do? Just live our lives? Of course not. That's definitely not the case at all. We are no longer under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ. We have to live by him. We have to do what he requires us to do. There's in, in, in Romans 6, it says we are no longer slaves to sin and death, but we are slaves to righteousness. We are, are called to live a righteous life. We can't just live the way we want to. No, no, we are, have been removed from the kingdom of darkness and we have been brought into God's kingdom, into the kingdom of light. And in this kingdom, guess what? We have a king and his name is Jesus and he rules and he has rules and he tells us how to live and we need to obey him. He's our king and we are, yes, his children, but also his servants, slaves to righteousness, slaves to Christ. And so we're not just called to live our own lifestyle. No, no, we are called to model and do what Christ commands us to do and what he tells us to do and live like he did. 
We see this in Hebrews 12 verses 2. It says um, that God is our mother. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we must follow the way he did. He perfected it. And he sees it through in us. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ. So we are to do what Christ has asked us to do. He's our model. So when it comes to this area of giving and tithing, this particularly tithing, do we see Jesus command it? Because if he does, then we must do it. If he tells us to live it out, then we must do it. So where do we see in Scripture? We see it in one place. In, in, uh, in Matthew 23, verse 23, we see Jesus refer to tithing, and he's rebuking a Pharisee for not doing it right. But we don't really see Jesus teach on it anywhere else, particularly the area of giving 10%. And so, so how do we model it? Well, Jesus, Jesus was living under the old covenant, we, he, under his, uh, the, his old life before his death and resurrection. But under the new covenant, we don't really see anything taught when it comes to tithing to this idea of 10%. We don't really see that. So what do we see in the New Testament as motive for, financi- for giving financially? Is there a motive to give in any any other capacity? And what are the motives that we can follow and obey? And so we do definitely see a strong call um, to giving financially. We just see we need to excel at it. We need to do well at it. And we see in the book of Acts, we see guys really excel in this area. We, Acts 2 verses 42, you, you know that famous passage about the church. It talks about how they came along and they sold all their possessions and their property so that no one would lack. I mean, that's excelling at it, right? Now, I'm not saying we must all go sell our properties and bring in the money. That's not, we, we led by the Spirit in this area, but we see an example of those sacrificially loving each other by sacrificial giving. Does that make sense? We see it again in the church of Macedonia. Later on, um, later on in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 and 14, that we see the Macedonian church gave beyond their means. They were a poor church, not just for the rich. They were poor, but gave beyond their means to help the church in Jerusalem, which was struggling in famine and hunger. And so they gave sacrificially to that. And so there's this definite call of generous giving in which we need to model and pursue and go after it. But what is our motive? If there's no law to command us to do it, what is our motive? Well, the first motive that we have is Jesus. Jesus is our motive. He, he came and he liberated us from sin and slavery. We see this incredible verse in Romans 6 verse 15. It says, we are not under law but under grace. Now, there's this cool acronym that explains what grace is. It says, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense for you and me. Christ came and he liberated us from sin and death so that we might be able to experience God's riches at Christ's expense. This is what um, Mark was talking about earlier. That we have all of what God has. We get to experience everything of him. We are rich because we know this incredible God. There's a Psalm, Psalm 16 verse 11 says, At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his 
presence, there's a fullness of joy. This is what Christ has come and done for us. He's given us access to God himself. Him. And he is far greater than, than any possession, anything that we can have or desire. This is, this is why there is a fullness of joy in God and not in the world. Because, man, while I might say to you, hey, would you like a private island in the Bahamas? For a fancy house. Oh, man, that would sound fantastic, Joe. But God is greater than that because he is the one who holds the universe in together and spoke this planet into being. How much more is the creator more valuable than the creation? And through Christ, we get to enjoy him. All that he has, all the riches of him, we could experience God in his fullness. And so he has given this to us through the death of Jesus. We, and we see how we, he scandalously came with generosity towards us by dying for us. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We are rich because we know this great and awesome God. And he has come and given up much. He gave up heaven and glory, gave it all so that we might enjoy him. And so this becomes our motive as well, to love one another, to sacrificially give. Why? Because God gave much for us. It's our motive. Another motive to, for in New Testament motive on why we should give is because God has been extremely generous towards us in every way. We, everything we have, church, the clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, the food in your cupboard, the money in your bank account, the car that you drive, the roof over your head, whatever it might be, belongs to God. It's His. It's all His it's not our own. He has lent it to us, and we are called to be good stewards of it. And so when he calls us to sacrificially give by the leading of his spirit to give much, we are simply just giving away what is his, not our own. And he is generous not only just to those of us who believe in Jesus, man, he's generous to the whole world. There's this uh, Matthew 5 verse 45 says, um, his son rises on the evil and the good. The rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God is commonly good to all men. We enjoyed yesterday. Weather yesterday was phenomenal. But it wasn't just for those of us who love Jesus. Man, even the most wicked in East London enjoyed that yesterday. And today looks like another stunning day. God is graciously and generously good to us. Everything we have is his. And so when he calls us to give, man, I'm just simply giving away what he has. But there's this another thing. We see in scripture, there seems also to be this idea that when we give, God gives us back. He gives us more. We see this uh, in one place in scripture where Israel is told to put God to the test, to, to try outgive the, out, uh, the giver. And they just simply can't. In Malachi 3 verse 10, it says, God speaking through the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel says, Bring uh, the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for 
you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's, what happened is the, the tribe stopped bringing in a tithe to the, prof, uh, to the temple. And so the priests who were working the temple were going hungry and so that they had to go and start to work. And obviously this is God's not, not his plan. He's upset with Israel. And he says, no, no, give your full tithe. Give it to the temple and do that. Why? Because when you do that, man, I'm going to bless you. Put me to the tests. Test me on this. There's this wonderful thing in, in Proverbs 19, verse 17. It says this, these words, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. I love that. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. When we give sacrificially as we are led by the Spirit to do so, God says, no, no, I'm going to repay you. And you might be saying, oh, I'm giving to a guy that's never going to give me the money back. No, no, you're not lending to him, you're lending to the Lord. When you give to the kingdom and to God's work in his church, and you go, oh, I'm never going to see that again. No, no, you're not lending to the church, you, you, you're lending to the Lord. And he says, I'll repay you. I will give back. But here comes our motive for why we do it. This idea of blessing can throw us off a bit. And I think the prosperity gospel has got it wrong. They say, give so that you might become rich. Give money to the church and God will bless you so that you might have more. But 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11 says these words, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Is, is that we will be blessed by God so that we can continue on being a blessing. It's not so that I might gain lots of money and then hold on to it to myself. No. God says, man, give generously and I will bless you so that you can continue on giving generously so that I will bless you so you can continue on being generous. Does that make sense? There's an there's a, uh, illustration of a farmer. He's got three silos. Um, one of his silos that he has for grain for his cattle just doesn't work. If he puts grain into it, man, nothing comes out of it. His second silo kind of ebbs and flows. So he, if you put some grain into it, it comes out, but never really comes out as well as you want to. And there's a, a silo that just works perfectly. As it comes, as he needs it, the grain comes. And so the question always is, which one do you think the farmer uses regularly? The silo that works. That's the one he keeps on filling up. He might use the one that ebbs and flows when it needs to be refilled, but very seldomly is he going to be pouring more in. And the one that never opens up, well, he's not going to put, put in there because he's never going to get it back. It's a silly illustration, but it's a way to show that man, when we are generous, like God has called us to be generous, he just keeps on pouring in so that we can continue on being generous for the extension of his kingdom. But there's, again, we've mentioned this, there's also this motive for us because there's heavenly reward. Now, We've already spoken about that, but I, I want you to just acknowledge again how generous God is for us. He has given everything that we have is His. He calls us to give away His stuff generously. And when we give away His things that He has given to us, then He rewards us for doing what He has asked us to do. Isn't that a bit crazy? Isn't that generous? God says, you give away this temporal stuff that I have given to you that's actually mine. Give it away to those people. And then I'm going to give you eternal rewards in heaven for being obedient, for giving away my stuff that I asked you to give away. Wow. 
This becomes a motive for us to, to live for God and, and for, his, for His glory and to do so through financial giving. How we use our money echoes into eternity. It's extremely important. Extremely important. So what are some of the principles in giving? I'm going to some quick principles on how we should sacrificially give. The first principle we see in Scripture is that we ought to do it regularly. We see in 1 Corinthians uh, 16 verse 2, it says this, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. There's this idea of regular giving. It doesn't have to be weekly, but it seems to be when we receive money, in this case they're receiving a wage, when we receive it, then we put it aside. And so there's this regular giving that we give to the Lord on a regular time. And that for most will be at the beginning of the month when we receive our income. That's when we are to sacrificially give with what we have. Second principle is that we are to prioritize this giving. Prioritize it. And what we see in scripture is they bring into their local body. This community, this body that God has put together is meant to love each other and give inwardly. And so as a local church, we give to and prioritize our local church as our main source of sacrificial giving to the Lord. It comes here. Why? You benefited from it, but the people we love and care for benefits, and this mission that we are on together benefits from it as well. And that does mean, that means you can give to other causes. There are some, I mean, we just spoke about Breath of Life this morning. Wonderful cause. I'd, I'd encourage you to pray about giving to the helping of abandoned babies. If you're passionate about uh, the, the issue of abortion and you wanted to do something practical about it, that is a cause that you can back and get behind. But it's up and above our giving to our local church. A third principle is that it's thoughtful and, 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 and prayerful in our giving. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, each uh, one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so what we do is we prayerfully pray and ask, Lord, what are you asking me to give and how much? Be cheerful in it. Know this is what the Lord has put on your heart and give, not reluctantly, but willingly and cheerfully. This is what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart to do. And this is maybe a little bit of the risk of having a set number of like 10%. Is that it can, we can kind of get to a point where we've gone, I've paid my dues. I've done what I've meant to do. But there's this call to prayerfully consider what is the Lord asking me to give here. And giving that and being joyful in that giving. The, the next principle is uh, we ought to be generous and joyful in our giving. Does this giving reflect a Christ-like attitude of generosity and worship? Do we have to ask the question, does this cost me something? Because it costs Christ a lot to give his life. It has to cost us something. And the way this works is we don't come to the end of the month and go, oh, what do I have left and therefore give? The, what we are called to do is adjust our lifestyle accordingly. What is the Lord calling me to give? I will give that right when I have all the money. Because I'm telling you now, when you wait till the end of the month, you have no much money left and you kind of, oh, this getting a bit tight and you don't want to give anymore. Give at the beginning. But when we do that, we go, Lord has asked me to give such and such a percent. 
And so I'm going to give it. And I will adjust my lifestyle accordingly to what God has called me to give. And that's the way we go. Not let me live my, luxur- my luxurious lifestyle or get order those, all those pizzas and then at the end of my life, oh, I've got no more money left. No, no, I'm, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice and give. And to do so faithfully and with a joyful heart is important. I'm going to end off with this. Some of you might have stopped giving or have never given. Um, and there's this clear call here for the kingdom and for the extension of his kingdom that we ought to, to give. It's there. And I understand that the economic climate at the moment for some of you is tough. It's really hard. Struggling financially. But may I encourage you to prayerfully consider this is a, a command that we have been given by God to financially give. To prayerfully consider it and put God to the test. This is one of the promises that he will fulfill for you. Those of you who have given for years will be able to give testimony of even in most difficult moments that God has come through for them. And so I encourage you to prayerfully consider it, trust him, and go for that. Let him go. So be obedient in this area. And, and, and maybe, maybe if you've never given, just start with 5%. See the Lord, test him. But set it in your heart if you're going to start with 5%. More, Lord, I'm going to give more. I'm going to excel at this thing. If you, you come through for me, I'm going to excel at this thing. And I'm going to give more. And I'm going to give more because I trust that you're going to come through. I, I'm not done yet. But if, but if you are really struggling with this, trust him and give. There is a blessing that will come. So the question that often we left with this discussion in our is going, well, Joe, how much do I give? How much should I give? Because it was great to know 10%. And maybe that's where you're going to settle and that's fine. But again, we are told to excel at this thing. We are under the new government to do as best as we can, not just settle with the old. And so my encouragement would be, if you're looking for a number, start with 10, but willing to move up. Excel at it. Go for it. Trust him here for the extension of his kingdom. I promise you, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed. Do you want to say something? So I'm just like you. I have an income. And the question is, Lord, so what is going to happen? What am I going to do with this? And so it tests my heart. I'm just like you. And it tests my heart. So when I listen to this, and obviously this is not the first time I've thought about this, but then I start to think, so Lord, where is my heart in this thing? And it's really between me and Him. I'm not answering to you. I'm not answering to Him. I'm answering to Him. And it is a great blessing. So, because you know, I often say this, you touch my child and you touch my pocket, it's close to the bone. So I'm just encouraging us this morning, this, this thing is about giving, but actually it's about my heart. Lord, where is my heart in this thing? And Lord, I want to be trusting in you in all these things, not just money, all these things. 
I want to be a good steward that everything I have. I've got a car outside there. I don't see everybody doing this, but my wife and I are quite, I can use the word, quite religious about putting up a cover for the sun. Why do we do that? Because we think, oh my goodness, this little car is so beautiful. No, 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 no. There will come a day when the Lord will say, no, no, that thing needs to go now. What's it going to look like? It's a small little thing, but we put a cover up every time in the daytime. Good stewards. God's testing our hearts here this morning. Where's, and it's just between you and him. Okay. So be encouraged. Let the Lord speak to you and respond to him. Let's pray. Lord, we are incredibly grateful for all that you've given us. You gave us your son, you sacrificially died for us on the cross, and that's incredible. And so we thank you so much for that. Would you stir us uh, up to live sacrificially for you in every aspect of our lives, we pray, because we want to know Jesus and we want to make him known. Um, We ask that we as a church would be great at generosity, that we would love each other well for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. We give you our hearts, we give you our souls, we give you everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.